Right, ladies and gentlemen, I am, as always, really grateful to be back with Dr. E. Michael Jones. How are you doing, sir? Good, Nick. Good to be back. Excellent. Yeah, so I was going to invite you back anyway, um, as I tend to do when you've got a new book out. And it's quite amazing how relevant that book has become, um, because I actually think you're giving people the framework to understand the, well, World War Three. So we're going to be talking Israel-Palestine at the moment. And my my preamble to this would be that I, for a long time, I said it's not my issue. I don't understand it because I, I think I'd been gaslit and tricked into thinking it was a complex issue. Now that things have flared up again, I've looked straight at it and I'm like, there's nothing complicated going on here at all. They're just stealing the land and bombing these people and, and it's right. more complicated than that. Um, but I think that you uh, you unpack what's really been going on here over the past 80 years since the formation of this state. Um, take it away. What's going on right now? Yeah, well, let's let's jump into like the day before yesterday. We had the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. He's uh, sitting there. He's obviously the most unpopular person in the entire General Assembly there. Uh, and so he started to react to that. So he uh, says, starts off with this preamble about uh, why you should listen to Israel. And he says, well, because Israel was created by the, the Holocaust. So he brings the Holocaust into this thing. And then he pulls out of his pocket a yellow star and he smacks the yellow star on his chest, like the, the drama queen from Israel, uh, who is uh, the country that is now bombing refugee camps with uh, 2,000 kilogram bunker buster bombs, killing hundreds of people. Uh, and suddenly because he, he plays the Holocaust card, he's the victim. So this is, this is the hidden grammar uh, of the empire. This is the founding myth of the American empire. Uh, it basically came about after World War II when America liberated the camps and proved that we were the uh, decent people and nice people and so on and so forth. Uh, okay, let's, that was yesterday. Let's go to today now. Uh, Anthony Blinken shows up. Anthony Blinken is our Secretary of State Okay, uh, he uh, first arrived shortly after, it must have been a day after October 7th, when the when Hamas broke out and this whole uh, thing started. So he shows up and he announces, stands there next to Benjamin Netanyahu, and he says, my name's Anthony Blinken. Uh, I'm the Secretary of State of the United States of America, but I come to you as a Jew and then he gives the inevitable statement, you know, you know it's coming. I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Okay, now that immediately nullified his position as Secretary of State of the United States of America, because the whole role of the United States of America in this conflict is to exert pressure on the mad dog known as Israel, to tell them to stop killing innocent women and children, and we need a ceasefire. Well, he, he, what's he going to say now? What's he going to say? He's already sided with the Israelis, you know, so he's not a broker. The Arabs won't talk to him. He, the, the, the mission was a failure because he wanted to talk to all these Arab countries. They won't talk to him. And so he, he flies back. Well, now we're in another situation. Okay, today, 
Nasran Hasrallah gave a speech in which every, everyone's sitting on the edge of their seat uh, wondering, is this going to be, is he going to declare war on Israel? Okay, and it turns out that he didn't do that. Uh, so Blinken's there again. Blinken has one mission. <laughs> There's one thing he's got to accomplish. He's got to bring about a ceasefire because world opinion is turning on Israel. And Netanyahu is completely oblivious to world opinion. He's got one thing on his mind, and that is Amalek. So he's quoting the Bible. When the world is calling for a ceasefire, Bibi Netanyahu is calling for the uh, extinction of Amalek. Amalek is the, the tribe that had to be exterminated. And if he's reading the passage in the Bible that says, not just the men, but the women and the children and the animals. Well, this is not good preparation for negotiation, is it? And so what's Blinken going to say now? So on the one hand, he immediately handed over the advantage to Netanyahu when he first makes his visit. Now he's got to come in and he's got to pressure Netanyahu to give in to the Americans. Uh, so what's he going to say? Is he going to tell Bibi Netanyahu that he had relatives who died in the Holocaust? That's not going to cut any ice with him. He's completely neutered his position as Secretary of State. This, this is a situation we're in. And if you don't understand the hidden grammar of this whole thing, which is the Holocaust narrative, you're not going to understand what's going on. Yeah. And, and my fear um, from my particular vantage point is watching conservative ink, as we'd call it, um, which I, I, you know, I watch the American situation as well. And because you are so captured by Israel, there is quite a lot of noise that I see from commentators saying, well, hang on a minute, we can't we can't go on like this. People that I wouldn't have expected to break ranks from your sort of uh, the Blaze channel. You know, do you know the kind of things I mean adjacent to Daily Wire? There are a few people that have broken ranks, whereas in the UK, it is the Zionist project has has bought everyone very, very silently. It, then they haven't been loud until now. And now we've got this situation where there's a huge number of Muslims in the UK um, and also people from all demographics, actually, who know the truth about what's going on there. But particularly the Muslims are very, very loud about it. They're marching every Saturday down Downing Street and there's going to be a march on Remembrance Sunday next week. And the, the commentators who are the anti-Muslim commentators who would be Douglas Murray, Tommy Robinson, Lawrence Fox. These were all people that were at Jordan at Peterson's Ark event earlier this week. They have all said that the British need to go down and protect the Cenotaph. And there's, you can see it clear as day. They're trying to build this conflict between the two sides in London as well. So this is becoming this worldwide thing. And my, my, re the reason I'm interviewing you and Nick Griffin, who's the, who was the former leader of the British National Party about this is because there's this complete dominance on the right wing of support for Israel. So I feel like I just have a duty to get as loud as I can because it's scary to me. Yeah. Well, I think I've said this before, but I think this is what Hegel would call the cunning of reason. Uh, so who's responsible for this migration flood in, in Europe? Who's responsible for it? Barbara Lerner Specter told us 
She's the video. You can look up the video. Don't take my word. She said the Jews are responsible for this. Okay, they're going to teach Europe how to become a multicultural uh, continent or multicultural countries. The Jews have expertise in this. So the Jews bring about this mass migration, largely of Muslims. But then what happens? <laughs> it turns out that the Muslims don't like the Jews. So they, they, in the attempt to destroy the unanimity of the British people, they have created an even more hardcore group of people who are totally against Israel. Now, I see God's hand in this. I see God's hand in this. Uh, I also see this as a potential for some type of collaboration uh, with these people who share a kind of traditional morality. So they don't like the transgender agenda either, okay? The man uh, in France who understood this was Alan Soral, uh, who had he worked with uh, Jude Donnet, who was an African, uh, on a, a Egalité et Réconciliation, okay? So Egalité sounds like the French Revolution, but it's going to be reconciliation, and let's work with the Muslims against the oligarchs. I think that's what his plan was, uh, i.e. the Jews, uh, who are a significant group in that oligarchic uh, formation. And, and so they catch on, and then he has to flee to uh, Switzerland. He had to leave France, and now he's being— <laughs> he was arrested in Switzerland for calling a fat lesbian a fat lesbian. Uh, but be that as it may, I think that uh, I, I, I get back to this thing. I think this is the cunning of reason. That okay, you you guys, uh, you they brought these people in. These people now do not like Israel. There are massive demonstrations in places like London and Berlin. Uh, I think it's illegal in London. I know it's illegal in Berlin. It, it contradicts. It's not illegal in London. What to have mass demonstrations? Pro-Palestinian demonstrations. Not, not yet, but you can see the pressure mounting for it. They're calling them hate. Hate right. marches or something, but, right. but no, we're not the same as Berlin. Berlin. Germany is a kettle of fish with this issue. No, Germany is much worse. Now the cops are asking if you wave a Palestinian flag, uh, they're going to arrest you in Berlin. Berlin, uh, uh, Germany's a whole other program. We could talk for hours on the situation in Germany, but they've just uh, basically contradicted everything they said that they believed in. They were always attacking right-wingers, skinheads for being against the Muslims. Now the establishment has turned against the Muslims because the Muslims are not going to put up with Israel anymore. So they can't manage their own, they can't manage their own program anymore. Well, look, it's been an incredibly weird few weeks for me with regards to the question of Islam, because we by this same brigade that are telling people to go and protect the cenotaph and fight the Muslims, there, there's been a long campaign. Um, I would say at least sort of six years. And there have been Muslim terrorist attacks and there have been horrible atrocities happened, like the grooming gangs that have happened as a result of Muslims being brought over to the UK. That has definitely happened. But I now see things through a different lens um, where I've been watching a, a string of documentaries filmed inside Gaza and I hear these people talking about the jihad, the struggle. And I kind of think if I was born into that life and i had that stark view of good and evil i would probably be quite passionate about that and i just my conception 
as they as the conservative media tries to scare me about all these Muslims calling for a jihad in the UK and how terrifying that is, all I'm seeing is huge crowds of Muslims praying. And yeah. that is all I'm seeing in the UK. Now, there have been other terrorist attacks around the around Europe um, or other jihads or whatever. The, the UK it has been very, very peaceful. But the messaging is that these are hate. Right. Um, and it's and, and you are right that they've been the sort of pet class. You know, we've been battered over the head about being Islamophobic and these kind of things. The Muslims have been very protected up until right now when it's sort of suddenly switched on a dime. And, and this also goes hand in hand with I've been heartbroken in the past few weeks because I've already told you about my struggle to find church leadership that I agree with on this range of issues that I can talk to you about. Um, and some and some leaders that I found, some vicars that I found during the lockdown um, who were speaking out against that and the mass vaccinations and all of this woke agenda stuff are cap in hand for israel they are 100 percent. everyone in palestine is a mass supporter and and it's and it's really saddened me whilst i've suddenly gained this respect for islam and it's a little bit scary because i don't want to become a muslim you know that's not right no no i i don't want to be i don't want to become a muslim either but on the <laughs> other hand uh, we have to be a little bit smart about what's going on here so to give you an example of what's going on in the united states Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, just testified before Congress, and he said that there is now a serious threat that Iranians are going to come over to America and murder American politicians. Now, if you believe that, uh, you are the most naive person in the world. Okay, now, why do I say that? Why do I say that? What is the number one terrorist organization in the United States of America? It's the FBI. The FBI has been involved in more plots. I mean, the English should be familiar with this. There were plots all with the time of the uh, in the Elizabethan era, false flag operations. I think the English invented these things, okay? At the time of the, the gunpowder plot, I think it was a false flag. But anyway, th this the, the FBI is notorious for coming into places like the state of Michigan and finding some three guys living in a trailer park that have one gun and three bullets and they're talking, they get drunk or they get high and they start talking about Gretchen Whitmer and the FBI. If there's a media of 10 people, seven of them are FBI agents. And, and one of those guys is going to bring in explosives and automatic weapons and uh, uh, in this entrapment plot. So I think I'm predicting right now that the FBI is going to cook up a false flag here. And somebody's going to get hurt. They're going to pin it on Iran as a way of getting the United States to declare war on Iran. This is the tradition in the United States. Pearl Harbor is an example. 9-11 is an example. Why not now? Why not Ray, uh, the FBI, doing something like this now? Yeah, the thing is, there's uh, huge amounts of people. I might just be biased by what I'm seeing on Twitter, but I'm sure that huge amounts of people are connecting the dots. You know, people are able to see what the war on terror actually was, just a pattern of destabilizing these countries and taking out leaders that were seen as troublesome. There were no weapons of mass destruction. Um, Assad was not gassing his own people. And we're just in the next pattern of, the, of those kind of things. 
and they went straight out the gate with beheaded babies and all of this other stuff there's a there's a picture circulating of one of the um hostages or uh, where she's got a stain on her behind a brown stain on her trousers um and that is being used as evidence of rape and it's not it's it's a mud stain from where she's been sat down and it's it's just yeah. It's preposterous. There's all of this stuff, and they, and they've had to retract it all very quickly. And I do think that people like Bibi Netanyahu quoted 9/11 and Pearl Harbor as as previous examples of why what he's doing is justified, which I just think is naked and brazen. Yeah, or stupid, because but, yeah. we know that they were false flag operations. But what do you you mentioned Nick Griffin? What what's his position? Is he being stampeded in the Islamophobic uh, direction. What Also, what about Martin Webster? Do you know Martin Webster? I don't know, know who he is. Martin Webster, but, okay. but, but Nick, well, I had Nick on last week and he's exactly the same. He's, he, this is not our war. Uh, Britain can accept some resp- a lot of responsibility for the formation of this project, but God, we shouldn't be supporting it any longer. He's very, very solid on this, but it's there's not many people like that. What about Jeremy Corbyn? What's he saying? Well, Jeremy Corbyn's consistently saying the same thing, which is we need a ceasefire now. Um, he's always been consistent on um, on a solidarity with the Palestinians. He won't uh, well, so he won't denounce them as terrorists, and and he's consistent with that. But he's been completely destroyed, and he was completely destroyed. And this is another thing. It's a bit like your um, idea of reaching out a hand to the Muslims. I'm trying to remind people that we had an anti-Zionist leader of the opposition, which I don't think it would be remotely possible to get that in America. There's no way that you would have a leader of the Democrat Party or the Republican Party that is openly saying, um, well, negative things about Israel. Uh, But we did over here for a period. Um, Do you know how that happened, actually? Do you know the background of how Jeremy Corbyn sort of accidentally became Labour leader? No, I don't know that story. I, I can sum it up very quickly. It's because obviously Labour are socialists um, and they're appealing to a young university crowd. They slashed their membership fee to only £3. So it was only £3 to join the Labour Party. Nothing. Anyone can afford that. Cheaper than a cup of coffee. Whereas it used to be a bit of a commitment and it still was a commitment for the Conservative Party who don't appeal to young people anyway. But when that happened, there was a leadership contest and nobody was anticipating Jeremy Corbyn. It was because it was all establishment, David Miliband and Ed Miliband. They were both Jews, um, long established thing. Jeremy Corbyn came through that weird three pound membership fee university vote. And then suddenly you had this a leader of the opposition who it was essentially the Bernie Sanders candidate it was somebody who'd been on um well i think so i don't know he's he's not the same position on israel is he no 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 bernie Sanders is a socialist but when you when you put his back to the wall he becomes a jew yeah he just he just supports the status quo he doesn't he doesn't object to it that's what we're finding across the board here is that people like uh, uh, ben shapiro who tries to pretend he's a conservative as soon as something like this happened he throws all caution to the wind and comes out to be a flaming racist zionist who's telling them you know exterminate the brutes Mm. uh, to quote joseph conrad exterminate the brutes that's that's across the board 
Yeah. Now, there, there are some Englishmen. I just watched my good friend uh, Paul Eisen just sent me a video of a, a bunch of young Englishmen uh, of the socialist persuasion. One of his names is Barnaby. I don't know where the, I forget his last name. But anyway, he, the, they are dead set against uh, Zionism. They do not like Zionism at all. And I think it was the the uh, the demonstration at, at Liverpool, Liverpool, was it Liverpool Station? Uh, well, that was in London, I believe. Anyway, there's a big banner saying Jews against uh, uh, genocide or something like that, you know. So then he goes into the long explanation of what he believes. Well, he's upset because Jews are getting a bad name because they're associated with, with Israelis. So he's trying to create this distinction between Israelis and Jews. Now, I, I understand what you're trying to say here, okay? But all you're trying to do is is save the brand here. So he's trying to go revert back to the old Marxist idea and basically saying that those Israelis, they're not really Jews. This is European imperialism. They're white. All those guys in Israel, they're white guys. And so we should fight them because we're part of Black Lives Matter or something like that. So in interesting development, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. And I think all Jews are going to suffer because everyone in the mind of people, Israelis are Jews. And they behave the way they do because they're Jews. Why? When when Benjamin Netanyahu quotes um, uh, the Bible and says that, you know, Palestinians are Amalek. That sounds religious to me. Mm. It sounds like uh, uh, Judaism to me. Yeah, I actually think what's incredibly dangerous, and it's being um, pushed by the Jordan Peterson arc event and all sorts of stuff like Ben Shapiro, is um, that I've been watching some of these socialist channels as well, because quite frankly, it's some of the only place to get proper coverage um, of what's going on relating to Gaza, at least from this UK perspective, is from these guys that supported Jeremy Corbyn. Um, they, they are very good at covering this stuff, but their sort of end conclusion, as you say, is that it's like white imperialism. And I think what they're doing is treating Judeo-Christianity all as one. So the Jews are seen as Christians and all one and they're white and that's what's going on here. And that's what we're fighting against. And that's why an alliance with these people would be impossible. But then they wouldn't want an alliance with me anyway, because I speak to Nick Griffin. No. Yeah. No, that's that's one of the phrases that gets trotted out. Ben Shapiro's uh, notorious for talking about Judeo-Christian. What's it mean? What does well, it mean? It, it, yeah, no, I mean, it's a completely oxymoronic, self-contradictory phrase. It's two religions crammed into one. But um, at this conference this week, Ayan Hirsi Ali, who is some a woman who... Uh, was a Somalian victim of um, FGM when she was a child. Um, and now she speaks out against Islam, but it's with all of these atheist Jews like Sam Harris. Um, and it's all in support of this kind of wing of stuff. And I think that Judeo-Christianity is now being seen as Western values, whatever that is. So they're, they're, they're sort of using this strange umbrella that basically just invites Jews into the club is yeah they were always part of it and there's no conflict here we're just against islam and this is what it's being used to do and it is atheist it's beyond secular it's it's an atheist religion but they are they're holding events like there were i think 12,000 people at the o2 arena this week for 3 days in a row watching jordan peterson give these 
soliloquies that I think some people think are Christian, but they're not Christian. He's not a professing Christian, but it, he's a Judeo-Christian, whatever this is. It is becoming a thing, though. It was a thing in, in America in the 50s, okay, when the Jews were had no power, pretty much. They were, they were on their way up, but uh, didn't have the power they have now. And they wanted to basically attach themselves to the Christian majority. So they came up with this term Judeo-Christian which was useful in terms of fighting communism. That was the, the high watermark of the anti-communist crusade that the CIA had orchestrated through things like the Congress of Cultural Freedom and so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, it, it, I, you know, personally think that it's, you're right, it's an oxymoron, uh, largely because I wrote another book called The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, which is about how the kill, Jews killed Christ uh, uh, who was the Logos incarnate, and they became revolutionaries. And that's what they've been ever since. So in that sense, uh, you don't, it doesn't make sense, okay? The, an interesting phenomenon in this regard is William F. Buckley, uh, who became uh, notorious for basically stabbing Joe Sober and, and Pat Buchanan in the back by calling them anti-Semites. But early on, he was having a debate with this big uh, Jewish producer from Hollywood uh, basically defending uh, the, the the statement that the Jews were Bolsheviks, that Jews have a natural inclination toward communism, and so on and so forth. Something happened over time that he, he didn't do that anymore, but it was still alive in the 60s where people were talked that way. Well, yeah, and it seems yeah, <laughs> there's many legends throughout time who've got in trouble for that, Henry Ford and Mel Gibson and all sorts, particularly if they're in Hollywood. Um, but I, I think the most interesting thing is that you and me and anyone who talks about this will be smeared as an anti-Semite or a Jew hater because um, they have a fascination or an interest in this topic, because to be honest, it is interesting and fascinating. And that's been very, very hard to work with because those smears are incredibly effective. And that is predominantly because of the Holocaust narrative. But I do think that these clips of Bibi Netanyahu talking about how we must smite Amalek um, that are public now and they are being shared. This is insane religious extremism. Uh, that you that you can't believe and so if they want to call us anti-semites or whatever it's 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 pretty mild stacked next to what is actually coming out of israel very publicly because you do need to go and see what israel is saying to its israelis right you don't don't look at what the west is saying about uh how it's the greatest democracy despite its fascistic covid regime um and all of that stuff you, you've got to look at what's being said inside Israel about the Arabs just outside that border, because that it is terrifying. It is, it, you can't say that it's not genocidal and openly so. No. And how are we, we're supposed to ignore it? Yeah. We're not supposed to talk about, uh, talk about this, this type of stuff. Well, how are we not going to talk about it? It's the, it's the fundamental issue of our day. And it's the, it's crazy. It's the dividing line that, uh, whereby people impale themselves on their own words, like Jordan Peterson, like uh, because he's working for the Daily Wire, because they're the ones who are paying him, he has to come out in support of Zionism. We've seen him shaking hands with Netanyahu. Well, you just lost your moral credibility by doing that. If you think this, uh, he tweeted, give him hell, okay? Uh, this, all of these things like the term conservatism has lost 
meaning in light of current events because it simply can't deal with with the current events. It's the same thing in in uh, the United States. The conservatives are forever beating the war drums. Mm. They're doing it right now. The only people who have said anything against uh, uh, calling uh, against Israel and calling for a ceasefire are now the Democrats. So the whole the whole narrative has kind of flipped uh, in terms of uh, what you thought you were. If you thought you were a conservative, and that meant like standing up for the right to life, well, it turns out that uh, why are you talking to Jews then? They believe that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, and they also believe in killing babies by bombing them in in Gaza. So what do we have in common with a group like this? This is the fundamental question you have to ask that is going to call for a realignment, a recalibration of political categories. Hmm. Well, there's, there has there is tremendous fear. I mean, you it was the Jewish revolutionary spirit. How long ago did you write that book? Thirteen years ago. Thirteen years ago, but you obviously you were aware that the world worked in this way for a lot longer than that. No, I no, that's I wrote it as soon as the idea came to my mind. I wrote it down. All right. All right, so the, what changed my mind was the Iraq war. When I realized that the Jews had taken over our foreign policy and that the they were all called conservatives. Mm. They were called neoconservatives, you know, so people like Irving Kristol. And so you look back in the 1930s, he was a Trotskyite. So mm. I thought the political category simply cannot explain what's going on. And that's when I decided to delve deeper into it and go back to what I thought was the basis, which was theological. That's why that's why I did the book. I wanted to I think I think I've succeeded to a certain extent in opening up a discussion that was purposely directed into the the fever swamps of racism. The the ADL loved that type of discussion. They love to have people associated with some type of racial thing. And when I brought the theological uh, calculus to bear on it, they weren't happy. They're still not happy. They tried to tar me with the racist brush not too long ago. And I called them on it and they backed down. They said they had to put words in my mouth, the exact opposite of what I was saying, in order to get it back into some type of racial narrative. I said, no, it's not, this is not a racial issue, it's a theological issue. And uh, uh, how are you going to deal with a theological issue? Are you going to tell me that you as a Jew, know more about theology than I do as a Catholic. You know more about my religion than I do? No, that's not going to work. And secondly, uh, you mean you're going to demonize the entire Catholic Church? Well, they've tried to do that. That's what the whole sex abuse crisis was. It was Jews basically trying to get the Catholic Church out of influencing public opinion. Hmm. But that's not going to work over the long haul either. So I think that we, we set up a situation where there is a coherent understanding of what's going on that transcends the normal conservative liberal divide. Yeah. And it, it, as you, yeah. So that makes sense that it was the Iraq war and this war on terror and, and country after country, because I grew up as a teenager at that point. Um, and I could see that that was wrong. I didn't understand the intricacies of it, but I was, you know, immediately revolted that my rich country was basically bombing very poor countries. And there was no, there's no real chance of many of our soldiers dying, but we're wiping out whole areas over there and we're doing it for the benefit of America. Or that was what I saw it as at that point. And it was oil pipelines was basically the story that as anyone understood it. 
Um, and my whole generation was just naturally against that. And that is why there's such little support for conservatism um, among my age group, millennials, is because to go from seeing all of that in your formative years, basically 9-11 happens when you're really young, you're too young to be traumatized by something like that, but you are, it defines world events. And from then on, it's war and your country is a big part of what's causing it. Uh, and it's causing a lot of upset and it's also causing a lot of refugees to come here and stuff. But there's, there's loads of people that I would have gone to university or school with that wouldn't be able to ever start watching conservative voices because they've already got that revulsion in them. And I think that's why you do get a lot of support for Palestine from our lot. But they also got captured by basically progressivism as a whole. And this is one of the problems with this woke agenda, which I think stems from the same basic source to undermine um, the family unit and Christian society. The problem is that Palestine has snuck into that woke agenda because it is an absolute affront to all human rights. And so at all of these events where people are celebrating their LGBT rights and these rights and that rights and women's rights, you'll always get Palestine supporters because it's the biggest affront to human rights. And I wonder if that's how it's happened, because for a very long time, I've wondered why there's so much more conversation about Palestine on the left than the right. There are MPs that are calling for a ceasefire beyond Jeremy Corbyn. There's sort of a chunk of the Labour Party that does it, maybe 20 or 30 of them. We, and they've always done it for, yeah, since the last carpet bombing of Gaza. I've, I've noticed that they've been there, but you, you zero on the right. Well, you have to have a very kind of specific discussion here. And by specific, I mean you have this radical distinction between Jews and Israelis. Like I, I ran into this with uh, Miko Pellet. I don't know where you've heard of him. I'm not he's sure. The, he, he's the son and grandson of two famous Israeli generals. And so you would naturally think he would be a Zionist, but he's turned completely against uh, Zionism. So I'm I'm trying to he comes comes over here. He's over in South Bend. He's spoken at Notre Dame. He's uh, eloquent in defending the Palestinian people. So, but I'm trying to connect the dots here, and I'm trying to talk about what happened in America, like the Jews uh, when they in the 30s, 40s, and 50s were all communists, and then in 67 there was this big seismic shift largely because of what happened to the civil rights movement, where the Jews stopped being communists and started being Zionists. And that was the 67 war, and they started supporting that. Well, he got upset at me because I said that. Uh, and he kind of stalked out, and he was complaining to people behind my back that I was an anti-Semite. Well, what do you mean? Why can't I talk about that? It seems to me that it's relevant. And this kind of sensitivity uh, only got worse uh, when we got to, to Mashad. I'm there. Uh, so I said, look, we have to be able to talk about the Jew, because if you don't talk about the Jew, you can't connect the dots. Like killing babies in the womb, that's a fundamental Jewish value. Killing babies in Gaza, that's a fundamental Jewish value too. It's just a Zionist value. But there's something that we have to bring together here if we want to understand what's going on and how to deal with it. And I'm saying we have to draw certain conclusions now. You can't have these people claiming to represent anyone certainly not america they don't represent america what mm -hmm. was happened is that our, our foreign policy has been hijacked the biden administration had 457 jews in it 
and they're pursuing their own foreign policy at the expense of America. And I assume the same thing's true true of 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 England or well, I, other countries. Yeah, absolutely. There's this um, columnist called Alison Pearson who works for the Telegraph, and it's quite amazing that on a dime, as soon as all this started, her Twitter feed is is purely support for Jews. And there's this petition going around that they're trying to get as many people to sign as possible, and it's in solidarity with British Jews. And I think that that is packaged to sound very innocuous. You know, it's just like we support them because something terrible's happened to them. They've just gone through their worst terrorist attack in in however long um but i believe that that petition is in solidarity with the board of deputies of british jews but very very secretly which is this ultra zionist outfit that has been a lobby group putting pressure on both political parties conservative and labor to make sure that people like jeremy corbyn are outed and not welcome in polite society and all of this stuff and and so it is it's it's dominance of a certain sector of society but i would say the younger you get it's uh, people are not getting their news from newspapers or from the bbc or these kind of sources so they're not being they're not really subject to this same kind of propaganda it's not working and also the other thing is that this does start with the Holocaust and then the formation of the state of Israel. And that's how it worked. It was since 1948. I've been reading a book um, by an Israeli, Ilan Papa, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine. It's it's so awful because I hadn't read it in detail until now, but it's been that way for 75 years. It's just just a clear out of land using this guilt trip to justify it but at this point nobody's really alive that was there at the time so we don't we don't have any of that fresh trauma in our minds anymore we have to kind of relearn it um and it doesn't it, it can't work 80 years later no not if you're bombing uh, refugee camps it's not going to work you don't that destroys any sense that you have some type of moral superiority you, you you can't hold those two things together. And that's pretty much what uh, what the Jews are saying, that they don't make a distinction between Israelis and Jews. It was the Holocaust that granted them this right to commit war crimes. It's that simple. That's pretty much what every Jew is saying right now who's coming on, whether it's Ben Shapiro or you name it, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, all of these people are all say, saying the same thing, that they're... But, the uh, the other interesting thing is that these are all uh, period pieces. If you, I've just gotten involved with you know uh, after the Holocaust. I got to, I found out the Nazis are not happy with my book uh, because I'm I'm portraying Hitler in a negative light. I mean, who thought you could portray Hitler in a negative light? And but anyway, it turns out that the real the thing you're really contesting is the Catholic testimony that there was a Catholic take on the Holocaust that has been completely extinguished, completely extinguished. And I brought it up at the end of the Holocaust narrative in the chapter on Christus and Dachau, which was written by an Austrian priest by the name of Lenz. This was the story. This book came out in 1955. Dachau was the paradigmatic concentration camp at that point, And Dachau was created for Catholics. 
primarily. There were Jews, there were other people there, but it was primarily a place that where they sent Catholics. I mean, in particular, Catholic priests. There were 2,600 Catholic priests there because the Catholic Church was considered an enemy of the Third Reich. Mm. Everyone knew this. It was all erased by the Jewish hijacking of, of this story. And it happened three years after uh, Lenz's book came out. Three years later, Night comes out by A. Lee Wiesel. And suddenly the entire narrative is turned upside down. Well, so so Lenz says there's a purpose to suffering. And God allowed this to happen because he punished Germany for its atheism. Three years later, A. Lee Wiesel says God died at Auschwitz. And that the moral of the story is atheism. They're promoting atheism. That's what happened to the story. And that, once you have this godless universe, well, obviously there's no moral law. I mean, ask Sam Harris. Uh, he, he should know. Ask Christopher, he can't ask Christopher Hitchens, but his whole atheism was based on guilt. He, it was, he was arguing against this non-existent God, trying to convince himself that he didn't feel guilty for running out on his wife, his pregnant wife. This is the story. If you so, if you undermine the moral law, uh, don't expect mercy from the people that you'll come in contact with. So you undermine the moral law, uh, so that you can uh, bomb Palestinians with a clear conscience. Well, you think they're gonna? Uh, they're not going to know this, and they're not going to. Uh, uh, will they be bound by the moral law that you rejected? This is the type of crisis. This is this is precipitating we have to have some type of return to the rule the international rule of law the international the, the, uh, moral law with no exceptions so i don't care whether you have relatives who died in the holocaust okay you can't use that as an excuse for killing innocent women and children you can't use the holocaust as an excuse you can't say well, uh, what the rabbi said it here you know, the people in Dresden, there were no innocent civilians in Dresden because they voted for Hitler. And so they were right to firebomb Dresden and kill all those innocent women and children. And then it gets extrapolated immediately to, to uh, Gaza, where they say, well, the, they, the Palestinians voted for Hamas. And so there are no innocent civilians in, in Gaza because they voted for Hamas. So kill them all. We have to get beyond it. We have to get back to this basic understanding that no one is above the moral law. Yes, absolutely. And it's it's so, I think what makes it difficult is that this word Jew refers to an ethnic group and the religious theological context, which is the correct context, because uh, as I learned from you, what happens if an ethnic Jew converts to Catholicism, gets baptized and wants to move to Israel? Does he have the right of return anymore? No, absolutely there not. There we go. So that that proves categorically that this is a religious thing, a theological thing, not an ethnic thing. Um, but it becomes so hard to discuss because you're immediately seen as a racist. And I, I absolutely love that you have this conflict with the race realists, with the Nazis, because for me, you solved this problem, as in like, well, why is this happening? Oh, it's because the Jews rejected the the messiah there we go we've solved the problem of why this keeps happening throughout history and the race realist type people the white guys they hate you for it don't they yeah they do they do and they're so they are committed to the to the same narrative that the 
the Jews are committed to, except that the Poles are reversed. So it's exactly the same. It's just Jews and Hitler. Uh, but now Hitler's the good guy and the Jews are the bad guy. I, 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 there's no other understanding that there is a bigger picture, there's a theological dimension to this, and that the Catholics understood it and the Catholic priests were punished because of it. And But the other detail to it that I noticed, because I went quite deep into these white nationalist circles as I interview people like you, I interviewed quite a lot of these people, and I noticed a pattern, which is they're stuck in a victim consciousness. Ah, wow, poor me, the world's against white people, everything is anti-white. And you can make a case for that. You absolutely can make a case that there's like you know, mass immigration and you never see white people in TV adverts anymore, diversity quotas. But black people can find these kind of things for their group as well. And Jews definitely can. They're very, very good at it. And so that's what I see as the similarity is like, well, you're, you're seeing the world as like, oh, I'm a victim and my group is a victim. And this is why Christianity is the answer to it all. It's like, well, everyone's got this stuff to deal with. You ain't special, but you're also never going to be as good as Jesus. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I think uh, in the, these white boy circles, you, you find a kind of admiration of the Jew. Like, I'd like to be like a Jew. Let's create an ethno state just like the Jews. Uh, let's we'll have it in Montana or Idaho or someplace like that. And it's this uh, a kind of perverse admiration of the people that you say you don't like. Well, I noticed that as well, is that they would actually use Israel as a reference point. They would say, why can't we have our own Israel? We need an Israel and stuff like that. I'm like, really? You're going to you're gonna spend all day blaming all your problems on those little hat guys over there and then, then say, we want to be just like them. And the master race thing always makes me giggle as well, because according to their logic, surely the Jews have kind of won that game if they're ruling over you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, you, you lost in the battle of survival of the fittest, so you're just a loser, right? No. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with these people anymore. I, I, I guess I considered them an ally in the fight a few years ago, but I couldn't deal with it past a certain point. And it is because it's, it's a question of God and of faith and of those kind of things. It's not skin color, and it's not. Like ethnicity is a real thing and race is real. We're not we're not chucking the baby out with the bathwater. This stuff does matter, but it's not it's not the answer and it's not the root of the problem as well. Because um, I think you see it as a pattern now that we're not claiming that this is genetic. It's behavioral. What's going at what the Jewish behavior right now saying that this is all self-defense and that we need to do this because if we don't, there's another Holocaust tomorrow and these pathetic excuses, uh, as well as just the complete media dominance of it. It's, it doesn't work. You can't pull the victim card while you're doing this, um, which is not, and therefore it's not, it's not us being racist. We're just observing behavior and saying, you got to stop. Yeah, stop, bomb stop bombing women and children uh, and claiming you're a victim. That's not going to fly anymore. That doesn't work. And I don't care whether you have relatives who died in the Holocaust or not. That's not a get out of jail card for following the moral law. Everyone has to follow, follow the moral law, period. There's no exception. That's rational behavior. And we are rational creatures. And if you don't, act that way you end up that's why we have prisons for people who consistently violate the moral law and become hardened in their 
uh, uh, refusal to follow the moral law, we have to incarcerate them. Well, something like that is going to have to happen with Israel. Either they get rid of Netanyahu and get rid of this racist element uh, and do some type of internal reform, which I'm personally pessimistic about, or you're going to have to reckon with military conquest. This is the history of, of the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people, when they became hardened and refused to listen to the prophets, uh, armies came in and conquered them. Uh, it wasn't forever. Uh, the, they went into the Babylonian captivity because they were, to a man, just wicked, and they needed to be punished and reformed. But after 70 years, it was over, and Cyrus sent them back. That, I think, is that, that, that kind of big-picture perspective is haunting them. Ehud Barak said no Jewish kingdom has lasted longer than 80 years. And I think they're haunted by this idea. I think they're haunted by the fact that uh, they have a limited amount of time. The time is running out. Uh, uh, and this makes some of them desperate. You know, like the the, ra the rabbis who wanted to occupy the Al-Aqsa Mosque and rebuild the temple. That's a sign of desperation. Bibi Netanyahu's gamble here is also a sign of desperation. You know, uh, uh, the fact that you, you think you can tough it out now by doing whatever you want. Uh, time is running out. I get that. That's the sense I have. Yeah. And as you say that, I get the sense that, um, you know, the Israelis are in a lot of fear and it actually sounds like they are justified. And I hadn't considered that before because I'd all thought, well, this isn't justified because you're the, you're the oppressor. You're the one sending the bombs into there. But that nervousness and that anxiety about this project basically coming to an end in the very imminent future, um, that is legitimate, actually. It's just that it's kind of misplaced and it's being pushed in the wrong direction. I think they're closer to extinction now than they've ever been. They should be more secure now than they've ever been. I think the opposite is the case. We have that, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what Hezbollah is going to do, but I know they're firing artillery and rockets. I know that uh, basically they've abandoned all, the Israelis have abandoned all the settlements along the, the northern border because they can't defend them. They're, they, they're, they're hoping that they can get uh, 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 route Hamas. Uh, they've surrounded Gaza City. That's where the tunnels are. I think they're crazy if they think they can do this in the amount of time they need to do it. They need to do it quickly and then confront the world with a fait accompli. And the, okay, that's, okay, you got them. I guess we have to go along. That's not going to happen. It's going to be similar to what happened in the Ukraine, which is another Jewish war, and it's failing miserably now. Uh, basically, Time Magazine just came out, said Zelensky's like Hitler in the bunker at the end of the war. Wow. Another another report came out and said the generals are not listening to Zelensky anymore. They've they've had it with him. His strategy is just to throw more and more people into the meat grinder, uh, and they're not going to do it anymore. So that's winding down. One of the main reasons that we're having so much attention on this is to distract us from the fact that the Ukrainian war is failing. The Ukrainians are not lo they're losing, and the Russians are winning. Hmm. Now at this point, uh, level heads are going to have to prevail. Somebody in the State Department is going to have to come up with something, and I don't something uh, approaching rationality, and I don't see it. Who's going to do it? They sent Blinken over. I don't see him doing it. 
what's he going? Uh, why is he going? Why is Benjamin Netanyahu going to listen to uh, Anthony Blinken? I don't know. I'm I, I get all pessimistic feeling whenever I think of that, but because that's what has to happen. Uh, otherwise, there is going to be a military confrontation, and I think uh, Israel has never been in a weaker position than they are now, and they should think about that. Yeah, especially because global public opinion is is it couldn't be getting any lower. And I believe that these marches are going to continue in basically every city, even even here in the UK. You've got a huge one in London every single Saturday, which will not stop while this is going on and it will keep growing. But even above that, you had the whole uh, Liverpool FC um, for some reason, they all know about what's going on in Gaza. Everyone in Liverpool, you mentioned Liverpool Street Station, which is in London, but the actual city of Liverpool and the football club are all massive Palestine supporters. And, and they uh, refuse to stay silent during the minute silence for the victims of Hamas. Um, and they were is, that, is that because they're Irish? There are a lot of Irish in Liverpool. I, Ireland is very sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. I've always wondered, I, I might look into that, is what is the genealogy of the Scousers? Because they, they, they've always sat slightly outside the rest of the English as their own little group that doesn't like to, to be with the rest of England and they really, really hate Westminster. And that results in stuff like this. You know, they always kick against the man. But that's just one example. There's several cities just here where there's going to be huge protests every single week straight outside Downing Street, and that'll be replicated in America, and they'll grow, and that'll happen all over Europe as well. So there's going to be pressure from, it's basically this actually quite peaceful coalition of um, the immigrant populations and the sort of a lot of leftists, really, it's all immigrant populations as well. You seem to you get a lot of black people and just all sorts, not just Arabs coming out to support Palestine. And then you've also got this sort of progressive socialist wing. The right wing is not involved in this. Whatsoever. Are there any spokesmen for Israel? Uh, uh, who, who's 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 the spokesman for Israel? Who's the Ben Shapiro in England now? Oh, okay. So, well, it would be Douglas Murray is the closest thing that we've got, but he's not Jewish. A lot, most of our Jews tend to be on the on the left, but um, but you get Douglas Murray does a lot of events with Jordan Peterson, and what he's doing at the moment is tweeting endlessly about uh, the the fear that British Jews are under, and they're actually what they're doing. It's quite strange. They're calling for mass deportations of Hamas supporters, which is something that people got like Nick Griffin were being called far right for, for saying we need to stop immigration and we need to send these people back if um, if they're not going to be a part of our society, etc. Now you're seeing exactly the same rhetoric, but it's on behalf of Jewish people. But, we, but I wouldn't say we have a Ben Shapiro, it, the, but they're all moving as one with that basic voice. I don't think that you have one person who's actually every single day pumping out an hour of really quite offensive genocidal video content that you can just watch. Because, um, because yeah, with Ben Shapiro, I think he he it gets worse for him every day. It's like watching someone unraveling. And, yeah, uh, I think it is. I think they're getting more and more desperate. Yeah, and I I also think it's getting quite obvious that he's been put there, and that that's the other thing is that. There's a lot of these 
um, very clean voices that have been against the woke agenda. And you've been able to spot that they're in well-lit studios and they're funded and they're kind of not allowed to fail and that they're going to be used for a certain purpose. And now is the moment. Now's the moment when all of them have to basically sing off the same hymn sheet. And it becomes too obvious because we've been able to watch the rise of some quite uncharismatic, untalented people. And you just, you know, you ask, well, why is he there? Why is Ben Shapiro so famous when you can regularly mock things that he says and does? You know, he is quite a laughable character yet. And I don't think that people really respect him. But what about Jordan Peterson? Has he, does he, did he, he said he lost Muslim followers when he tweeted, give him hell. He he seemed to regret that. Does he still have the followers? Is he still telling people to clean up their room? Have, have the, have the, the, has your generation cleaned up your room yet? Or, or are you moving on away from Jordan Peterson? Did you get some sense of that with that conference? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I That conference. So yeah, there were 12,000 people, but what I get the sense from it, all the, people I saw posting photos of it, they're really trying to climb the ladder. Um, it's it's a networking event, essentially, for people who would like to work in media. And they sense that, um, you know, people got fed up of progressive leftism. And so they like Jordan Peterson and stuff that sounds like that. And they want to be a part of it. And that's all I see from the people that are flocking around him at the moment, because He's been around for years and we've all had long enough to watch him have various addictions and various meltdowns and get the vaccine and then regret it. And now, you know, advocate for a genocide and like, he's not a man to look up to. And I think anyone who's watching should have been able to see that by now. Yeah. That's the sense I get over here too. Yeah. There's just, there's just one of the things that's hard to ignore is the comment box uh, whenever you say something, there's always going to be comments on it, and you can tell which way it's going. Largely, I'm not. I'm not. Look, I don't believe everything I read in the comment box. I think there are people who get paid to to say things to 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 attack you. But in general, I think it's something that that didn't didn't exist before. It you didn't have this kind of feedback, this kind of immediate feedback, with a television, for example. Okay, the television is simply one direction. You just sit there and you passively accept whatever they say, period. And now you've got a kind of pushback that is often crude and stupid, but it's pushback nonetheless. Yeah, well, I I think that there are certain things that can change. The comment box is a really good example where someone can just write something underneath and it actually just opens up something that someone hadn't seen previously before. I think that one of the most... Um, legendary video clips that exists on the internet is Jordan Peterson saying, I can't do it. And I actually actually think there's a strange, like there's an eerie artistic quality to it. Like you what it's so unnerving before he does it because something about the video is so grainy that it actually made me slightly scared before he said it. And it was so, I could feel the tension and the importance of what had actually happened there. Um, yeah, can you sum up what happened there, actually, for the audience, in case they haven't seen it? Well, uh, someone asked him if he had read uh, Solzhenitsyn's book, 200 Years Together. Uh, why is that a problem? <laughs> Especially when he goes yeah. around lecturing on Solzhenitsyn. That was his main... Yeah, well, two, 200 Years Together is the history of the Jews in, in Russia. It's a, I, re- I read the book, okay, uh, 
I, I've read Mein Kampf. I'll admit that I read Mein Kampf. Okay, am I not allowed to read Mein Kampf? If I'm allowed to read Mein Kampf, why isn't Jordan Peterson allowed to read 200 years again? He couldn't admit that he read the book. Well, it shows you he had this kind of fear that if he said something along those lines, he might not land that big contract or he might lose his audience or something like that. So it was a, 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 an important moment. It was an important moment. and But now, I think in 2023, I can just look back and I see all of these sort of conservative-ish figureheads all saying the same thing, which flies in the face of their values. And I can also watch their ascent. And you just ask, why is Jordan Peterson so famous? Why is Ben Shapiro so famous? Well, he was anointed. Jordan Peterson was anointed by the New York Times. David Brooks wrote an article called The Jordan Peterson Moment. Now, when someone like that publishes something like that in the New York Times, you you are anointed. And that was years before he, he signed the contract with uh, uh, Ben Shapiro on the Daily Wire. So I think that they they liked what they, what they saw with the guy. He kind of stood up to the pronoun craziness in Canada. Uh, and that told you to clean up your room. And uh, but but it. it it became obvious that he he wasn't didn't have the depth, mm. didn't have the depth to come up with a a real understanding of what was going on. The thing that what real what scales really fell from my eyes is when he went to Ephesus and gave a speech on Logos, uh, and standing in front of the Library of Celsus with a whole group of people, a whole uh, college full of people. And he's standing there walking back and forth on the stage, looking at his cell phone as if to say, help, help me. Is, is chat GPT out there? You need to write a speech for me because I don't know what I'm talking about here. And then he made completely clear that he didn't understand what Logos was. He, he confused Celsus is where, I'm sorry, uh, Ephesus is where St. John wrote the gospel that began with in the beginning there was logos in in, in arche in logos and he said in, in his speech he said at the beginning there was chaos well wait a minute that's the exact opposite of logos isn't it that was hesiod that was the theogony that was pagan uh, uh comic book thinking and you confuse that with logos which is the the turning point of human history when greek philosophy married hebrew prophecy and you didn't get that part well you just kind of blew your cover there you're out of your depth you don't know what you're talking about no he doesn't but a large degree of his popularity i think was because he kind of he he made a defense of the bible of sorts in the wake of the new atheism of um, christopher hitchens and stuff so it was a lot of people's first um, a lot of millennials first exposure to someone saying actually religion might have something in it even if he didn't know anything about it whatsoever e even if he didn't know what god was he was going to be uh, in favor of it whatever it is seems like a good idea no uh, but um you know now we're quite a long time down the line from that probably about six or seven years from when i think the jordan peterson moment happened and now it's just a stark choice between good and evil you know there's there's well I, I don't know if you even want to call the palestinians good in that sense but they're just they're faced with abject evil and it's the easiest thing to see in the world and so anybody 
who's justifying it it's like well you've made your decision and and the rest of it just goes straight out the window anything that came before that and i i hope that i can get as many people to that point where they don't see it as complicated anymore it's not complicated no it's not and i think you're doing a good job and i think that's the clarifying moment of our moment in history uh where were you uh were you were you shoveling shit in louisiana or did you understand that the palestinians were the victims and not the israelis that was a fundamental it's a fundamental clarifying moment mm. Yeah, and I, th I think if you if you watch how the patterns are going, it, it is only going one way. If you look at those reactions at the UN, Israel is not popular enough to sustain this. But I think very, very few people are able to articulate why, whereas you are. Anyway, thank you. There we go. Thank you very much. Peace.